In today's episode of the Her Storically Podcast, I'm talking about a woman all the way from the 1800s who challenged the racist policies of the New York City public transportation system way before Rosa Parks ever refused to give up her seat. Today, we're talking about Elizabeth Jennings Graham, who was a black teacher and a civil rights figure. Elizabeth Jennings Graham was born Elizabeth Jennings in March of 1827. We don't know exactly when she was born, but she was born in New York City to Thomas L. Jennings, who was a free man, and his wife, Elizabeth Cartwright, who was born enslaved. Together, they had three children, Matilda, Elizabeth, and James. Her parents were prominent members of the free black community in Manhattan. And in fact, her father, Thomas Jennings, was a successful tailor who became the first black man to receive a patent in the U.S., He patented a new dry cleaning process known as dry scouring, which was a new method to dry clean clothing. With the proceeds that he received from that patent, he was actually able to buy the freedom of his family. His wife would have otherwise been the legal property of her owner until 1827 under New York statute at the time, which had a gradual abolition law that was passed in 1799. He also would use that money to support his abolitionist causes. He was the founder of the Abyssinian Baptist Church, which is one of the oldest black churches in the U.S., and he was involved in establishing the Legal Rights Association in 1855, which aimed to challenge racial discrimination. Elizabeth's mother, Elizabeth Cartwright, was a prominent woman in her local community as well. She's known for penning a speech that 10-year-old Elizabeth would go on to deliver on, quote, the improvement of the mind at a meeting of the Ladies Literary Society of New York, which was founded in 1834. The society was founded by New York's elite black women to promote self-improvement through community activities like reading and discussion. When Elizabeth gave the speech in 1837, it discussed how the neglect of cultivating the mind would keep blacks inferior to whites and would have whites and their enemies believe that blacks do not have minds at all. Elizabeth's mother believed that the mind was very powerful and its improvement could help the abolition of slavery and discrimination. And she called upon black women to develop their minds and take actions. The importance of improving the mind was a consistent theme that developed among New York's black elite in the post-revolutionary period. Elizabeth was actually well-educated, which was uncommon for black women at the time. And this was due in part to the opportunities and resources her family had. Her family placed a big importance on education, which likely influenced her later career as a teacher. By 1854, she had become a school teacher and a church organist, and she taught at the city's private African free school, which had several locations by that time. She would later go on to teach in public schools, including the Colored School Number no. 5 at 19 Thomas Street. Her family was also deeply religious. Like I mentioned, she was an organist at the First Colored American Congregational Church where her family were active members, and her faith played a significant role in shaping her values and her commitment to justice and equality, which was evident on the famous streetcar incident, which happened while she was on her way to church. So to put it into some context at the time, in New York City in the 1850s, you had a horse-drawn streetcar on rails, which was the more common mode of transportation. They were also competing with the horse-drawn omnibus. The city did not get heavy rail transportation until 1869. These streetcars were owned by private companies, which regularly denied access of their service on the basis of race. The owners and drivers of these streetcars could easily refuse service to black passengers or demand racially segregated seating. 
So on July 16th, 1854, Elizabeth was running late for church and she boarded a streetcar in Manhattan. The conductor ordered her to get off because it was for white passengers only, but she refused. The conductor tried to remove her physically and eventually with the help of a police officer was able to remove her from the streetcar. But that incident garnered significant attention. Horace Greenlee, who was the editor and publisher of the New York Tribune, commented on that incident in February 1855, saying, quote, she got upon one of the company's cars last summer on the Sabbath to ride to church. The conductor undertook to get her off, first alleging the car was full. When that was shown to be false, he pretended the other passengers were displeased at her presence. But when she insisted on her rights, he took hold of her by force to expel her. She resisted. The conductor got her down on the platform, jammed her bonnet, soiled her dress, and injured her person. Quite a crowd gathered, but she effectually resisted. Finally, after the car had gone on further with the aid of a policeman, they succeeded in removing her. That incident sparked an organized movement among black New Yorkers to end racial discrimination on streetcars. And it was led by notables such as Elizabeth's own father, the Reverend James W.C. Pennington and the Reverend Henry Highland Garnett. Her story was publicized by Frederick Douglass in his newspaper and it received national attention. Her father would file a lawsuit on her behalf against the driver, the conductor, and the 3rd Avenue Railroad Company in Brooklyn, where the company was headquartered. This company was one of four streetcar companies franchised in the city and had been in operation for about a year at the time. She would be represented by the law firm Culver, Parker, and Author, and her case was actually handled by the firm's 24-year-old junior partner, Chester A. Arthur, who would later become the 21st president of the U.S., the case went to court in 1855, and surprisingly, the court ruled in her favor, with Brooklyn Circuit Court Judge William Rockwell declaring that, quote, colored persons, if sober, well-behaved, and free from disease, had the same rights as others and could neither be excluded by any rules of the company nor by force or violence. The jury awarded her damages in the amount of $250, which is equivalent to about $7,900 today, as well as $2,250 in court costs. The next day, the 3rd Avenue Railroad Company ordered its cars desegregated. Elizabeth's case set a legal precedent and made streetcar companies very hesitant about enforcing their racially discriminatory policies. After the streetcar incident and her subsequent victory in court, the Legal Rights Association was formed. And while the case was an inspiration for its formation, the association took on several other discrimination cases related to transportation. They fought against other forms of public discrimination as well. In May 1855, James W.C. Pennington brought another suit after being forcefully removed from a car of the 8th Avenue Railroad, which was another of the four streetcar companies. There were many steps forward and backwards, but a decade later in 1865, New York's public transportation services were fully desegregated. The last case was a challenge by a black woman named Ellen Anderson, who was a widow of a fallen U.S. colored troop soldier, a fact that won public support for her at the time. Later in life, Elizabeth would establish the city's first kindergarten for black children in her home. She married Charles Graham of Long Branch, New Jersey on June 18, 1860 in Manhattan, and they had a son, Thomas J. Graham. However, he was a very sickly child and he would die of convulsions at the age of one during the New York draft riots of July 16, 1863. 
With the assistance of a white undertaker, her and her husband were able to slip through mob-filled streets and bury their child in Cypress Hill Cemetery in Brooklyn. And the funeral service was read by Reverend Morgan Dix of the Trinity Church on Wall Street. After the New York draft riots, there would be numerous attacks against the black community. Elizabeth and her husband would leave Manhattan with her mother to go live with her sister Matilda in Monmouth County, New Jersey. Her husband Charles died in 1867 while they were living in Jersey. And then Elizabeth, along with her mother and her sister, moved back to New York City in the late 1860s or early 1870s. She lived her later years at 247 West 41st Street, which isn't that far from where my own dad grew up in New York City. And she died on June 5th, 1901 at the age of 74. She was buried in Cypress Hill Cemetery along with her son and her husband. In 2007, New York City co-named a block of Park Row Elizabeth Jennings Place after a campaign by children from Public School 361. On January 2nd, 2018, her first biography was published, which was written by Amy Hill Hearth, entitled Streetcar to Justice, How Elizabeth Jennings Won the Right to Ride in New York. Jerry Micarinda offered America's first freedom writer, Elizabeth Jennings, Charles A. Arthur, and the early fight for civil rights, which was about the legal fight that arose from her forcible removal out of the streetcar. And that was published in December of 2019. Also in 2019, Charlene McRae announced that New York City would build a statue honoring her near Grand Central Terminal. And if you've ever visited the Transit Museum in Brooklyn in New York City, which I did last year, they actually have a piece about Elizabeth on display and her efforts to desegregate public transportation. So, of course, I knew nothing about Elizabeth except for what I learned about her at the museum and learning more about her life story while I was researching for today's show. I didn't realize that before Rosa Parks, other women had fought to challenge segregation in New York City and cities across the country. Rosa Parks' own act of defiance wouldn't happen until the 1960s. And to know that almost 100 years before that, Elizabeth took the stand to gain rights for black people in this country is remarkable. That act of defiance and her subsequent legal victory marked an early and significant challenge to segregation. And her story provides this valuable glimpse into the struggles and triumphs of black people during the 19th century and reminds me that there's this long-standing fight for equality and justice that's been going on in this country. If you've never heard of Elizabeth Jennings Graham, then her story is definitely one you should know. Thank you for joining me on an incredible journey through history with today's story. If you want to take a deeper dive into any of the women that I talk about on the podcast, you can visit historicallypodcast.com. There you can find additional resources and you can also let me know about women you want to hear about on the show. Make sure you subscribe to stay updated on future episodes and don't forget to leave a review and let me know how I'm doing. Thank you for being part of today's historical journey. And until next time, remember that her story is one you should know.